Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio on the long way to the Statehouse, it's Andy Greenwald! This feels weird. It feels good, but it feels weird. It's our first in-person, just just the gang, just you, me, and Kaya in five, three years? Yeah, this, so we. I remember doing a pod with you in my house. Yeah, uh, but we didn't even record like that. Like the first week of... <laughs> That was just called friendship. Pandemic. And I think you came over. You were like, we, we, podcasters can't give this to one another. And you just came over I to came my house. Over, we, I sat up on your table. We had a nice time. We were like, we can do this right. And then your wife came in and looked at me like I had <laughs> mushroom fungus growing out of my throat. And then I never saw the inside of your house again. Um, Andy, it's great to see you. It's great to see Kaya. Thank you for trekking in from the beach today. It's just a short 20-minute drive. That's it. Um, we're going to talk about The Last of Us Episode 2, which aired last night. Yep. I wanted to hit a couple of Hollywood news and notes, as I always do on a Monday. Because this Monday is all about business, and Thursday is all about fun. That's what we've established. Yeah, we do podcasting on the mullet schedule. Can I ask, on behalf of uh, the dozens of people who listen to the show, Okay, are you going to keep your commitment to doing Chernobyl Megapod on Thursday? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Did you... Just because I didn't watch the second episode of Night Court, suddenly you think I'm flighty. <laughs> when it comes to watching a critically adored four-year-old five-episode miniseries, yeah. I always... <laughs> you always come through in a clutch. I always come through. I wanted to ask you about a couple of things before we get to The Last of Us. 
It's great. Yeah. I you love and it. I spent some time this weekend. I spent, I would say conservatively nine hours watching football this weekend. So that was a majority of what I, what I took down. Yeah. We, uh, we even watched some together. We did. We watched probably the most boring of the, of the four games. Disagree. Yeah. By well, far the most compelling game. It was a very entertaining game, but it was definitely the least dramatic. And for what it's worth, having listened to all of the Ringer content about that game, and I think I heard the word Eagles said twice, and mm-hmm. once was about the band. <laughs> We're going to spend the last 40 minutes of this podcast just talking about... About how Brian Dayball is the next Bill Walsh? Uh, <laughs> the Eagles secondary, but please, go uh, on. One of the things that's sort of fun when sports gets very high profile and then the national games become the only games is just checking out the ads. Love ads. You know? yeah. And, and this will be the case for the Oscars. The nominations come out tomorrow and, and, you know, Super Bowl, big ads, big ad time. Have you seen the Timmy Chalamet ad? Yeah. For Apple have, TV? Yeah. So I have a couple of questions about this. Okay. This strikes me as the inversion of the Nicole Kidman AMC ad, whereas that is a television star doing an ad for the sustaining of movies. Uh-huh. This is a movie star doing an ad for the, for a streaming service. Yes. Largely, I would say probably 60, 48 TV streaming service. Yeah. A, a TV service that won the Best Picture Oscar last year, but yes. Talk me through how Tim Dog winds up in this ad? I think it goes like this. I think Tim Cook calls, mm-hmm. and he's like, my guy, one Tim so to another. So it goes to, it's Tim to Tim. It's, it's Tim it's, to Tim communication. It, it, it's beyond peer-to-peer. It's Tim to Tim. <laughs> Our buddy Tim Simon's sitting, sadly, <laughs> yeah. by a rotary telephone. Tim Oliphant wearing a cowboy hat. It's not working. In the Zoom. And I think he's like, we'd love for you to come hang out and do a commercial for our service. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay. And then Tim Cook says, we will also pay you $2 million and give you early access to the iPhone 19. <laughs> Do you think Chalamet is like an early adopter like that? I think for sure. Well, no, I just, I, there are companies that, I, I, I guess my point is, Apple, like 10 years ago, I think people would just go out of their way to do things for. I don't know if that's still the case, but clearly it is. And I don't know what it is. Does it also potentially pretend some business that they're already in together? There's some... I'm sure. Some like Chalamet on Chalamet where Tim and Pauline like just interview each other. It's like Lopez v. Lopez. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like there there must be some other Yeah, business. I'm sure there is a Timothy Chalamet movie or series it, to come. Or is there a Chalamet shingle? I'm sure Chalamet have his own shingle I'm sure post-Dune there will be a Chalamet shingle. Post-Dune. Post-Dune and post-Wonka. Wonka coming. Chalamet's like, what I really want to do is produce, but I gotta gotta be all in. Unlike these other actors, I am going to be doing all the meetings myself. That's right. Okay, yeah, I I, I thought, but here's the other, you're you're, you're burying the lead. Which is what? The ad is charming. Oh, the ad's delightful. Did you see this ad? No, I haven't. I think I've seen like little snippets of it on Twitter, but I haven't like really fully dove in yet. It's basically a very, in case people don't know what we're talking about, there's a Timothy Chalamet Apple TV ad that is seems almost like it could be shot by Wes Anderson or Luca Guadagnino, but like is it looks great. I think they both took passes on it and they used some of their footage. Yeah, and they have basically budge. Timothy Chalamet in various states of excess, like where he's like being followed by the paparazzi or he's mm-hmm. hanging out in like an Italian villa or whatever, mm-hmm. and he keeps longingly looking at Apple TV streaming products. And then Jason Momoa calls him on FaceTime and it's like, Timmy, I just finished my, my, my series. And Timothy Chalamet is like, oh, I, I do a series. I want a series. Yeah. So it's, it's cute. It's really cute. But it's also like, it strikes me as A, interesting that, that like somebody who is not currently on Apple yeah. agreed to do that. B, it is a real like, it's not TV, it's HBO. 
this is actually a good segue because we didn't mention we last week we were talking about some of the you and I were talking on our private pod that we do. Uh, sorry, Kaya, <laughs> that um, about like the, the there were a couple of Apple trailers that dropped, mm-hmm. and I do think that Apple's strategy broadly is we are not a TV channel. We are not a streaming service. We are still a complete lifestyle company that yeah. you use all the time. And so it's different. It's not like you're shilling for Peacock. You're the, you're part of the larger ecosystem. Um, but I think the main thing is that it was a... Has it, anyone shilled for Peacock? Enjoyable. Um, has anyone... I sh- shill for Peacock. Yes, Kaya day. does. We are sitting in a room with Peacock's number one but fan do you think and subscriber. That, like, if, you, if Peacock asked you to do a Chalamet-esque ad... Yes. Yeah. Just straight up. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I I appreciate some money, but like, that's not super necessary. Yeah. She's already there. Yeah. What did you watch the trailer, Chris, for the upcoming Jason Siegel Harrison Ford two-hander shrinking? I did. Yeah. This to me is like that is what they want to make. I'm not even doing a quality check on it because it might be good, it might be bad, but like that trailer was just a distillation of everything I've heard people say in hashtag this town about what Apple wants. In, can you can you bullet point that? Is that like life-affirming content? Yes, it is star-heavy in that like this seems like a very... In Indiana Jones is like the third lead in this show. And, and like bizarrely so. Yeah. This does not seem like they were like, let you know, you know, this part of the therapist dealing with grief, it just screams Harry Ford. You know what I mean? They're like, let's get him. Let's get this legendarily ornery 80-year-old to wear a fedora and talk about grief. That doesn't seem like the move. It was just more like, yeah, we want to just throw stars at every possible opening in this. And then the larger theme is, we're going to make you feel better in some quirky ways. Yeah. That is kind of what they want to do. And then also what they want to do is, can I, can I segue to one other Apple TV piece of news? Of course. You guys know that I, I pour over the trades every morning. You know, I am just, I'm in the trenches here. I go, I breakfast at the Ivy. Yeah. You know, and I just pick up, <laughs> I just listen. I listen to what's being said at the other table. So I have to say that when something came across my transom today, that maybe the the show most made for me, like. Oh, the, I know what this is. So this is an Apple thing. And Apple has been, for the most part, being like, Jason Momoa, would you like us to spend $300 million on a show called God of War where you live in Hawaii for a year? And he's like, <laughs> I guess, twist my arm. That's generally been their, their thing. Uh-huh. But they rarely have been picking up international co-pros like AMC does, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. They made an exception. They made an exception for a show called Drops of God. And this is a French-created show set in the world of fine wine based on a Japanese manga. That seems like it's like your Taylor Sheridan show. I convulsed just now saying those <laughs> words in that order. I've never been more excited about a television show. The, the, the creator wrote on Call My Agent, mm-hmm. a show we love. It is about, it's set in the world of gastronomy and fine wines. I mean, who would ever thought to have combined those two flavors? Right. Uh, a creator of a famous wine guide passes away in Tokyo. And then he leaves behind a daughter who hasn't seen her father since her parents separated. She flies to Tokyo and discovers that her father has left her an extraordinary wine collection. <laughs> Again, out of left field. <laughs> who would have thought that the, the world's wine greatest wine father would have left his child a couple bottles, some decent bottles? Yeah. But wait, to claim the inheritance, she must compete with a brilliant, brilliant young, a brilliant young wine mind who her father took under his wing and is referred to in Leger's will as her father. 
character. I'm already very intimate with him as his, quote, spiritual son. But is his connection to this young Japanese man only spiritual? What do you think? What does that mean? I, I don't know. Were they lovers? Do they just swirl and spit together? But like, I mean, if it's his, is it only his spiritual son or did he have a lover in Japan and have a son a long time ago? I'm just reporting the news here. This is just what everybody was talking about. So where's the life affirming Over their grapefruits at the Ivy this morning. Yeah. Where's the life affirming part happen? Look at my face right now. (laughs) I have never felt more alive in the last five years of television podcasting than I have about drops of God. I think sometimes... These kinds of shows yeah. that are seemingly made in Good a lab shows. for you yes. are the ones that disappoint the hardest, mm. you know? How dare you? You know, that the same can be said of big ticket wines. Is that you true? Know? Sure, yeah. Like you spend a lot of money on it and maybe it's just, it doesn't live up to your expectations. Maybe it may be more humble table wine for, for food, friends, and family. What do you think? I don't know how to get back to Apple from this. This is Apple! They also did it. It's a trailer for that show, Hello Tomorrow, with Billy Crudup. Yeah, which has been in production for a long time, right? Like that seems. I feel like that's been a long no, gestating I, thing. I, I think just in the scheme of like they were writing it two years ago, and okay. then there was a lot of effects, um, but but very promising. You know, it, it, it's a, a live action kind of Jetson death of a salesman in the Jetsons universe kind of conceit. That's quite a pitch. Yeah, right? It's yeah. a good pitch. And it, it and Billy Crudup is always amazing. Jetsons and Death of a Salesman, two things that I think are on the minds of most Americans these days. You know, <laughs> when they get over their anger about the gas stoves, I think they might realize. Do they have gas stoves in Hello Tomorrow? I think they don't. I think they don't, which is why it's probably a better tomorrow. I just thought the, the branding was interesting mm-hmm. because one of the things that's so interesting, not to use interesting twice, but one of the things that I think has been dictated by Netflix is this kind of, we're a tech company. We don't have to sell ourselves. We, you know, we do our own selling. And I think oh. I would even say this about Netflix's promotional muscle. It's like, yes, for Stranger Things, they are on the Super Bowl and they are on billboards and they're on bus stops and there's activations and stranger things experiential kind of things you can go do but then i you know we we like always talk about how you'll wake up one day and it's just like oh that show came out on netflix yes. like that show that i vaguely knew about because we do read the hollywood reporter and and vulture and things every day and find out about what's in production but like most people probably one of the reasons yeah. why 1899 didn't maybe like pop off was because no one knew it existed but I think that goes up and down their slate. Like the the show we talked about last week, the Makanai, that by by yeah. Koreata, the Japanese filmmaker. Like there is, I know probably the Netflix US team doesn't think there's a huge audience for that. Oh, but they'd there, be wrong. But there is an audience. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that audience, if there, maybe they'll be like if you've been watching a lot of food shows or foreign language television, I imagine the algorithm will serve you that show. Right. But Netflix's strategy continues to be like, we are just a very deep ocean. And you know where the ocean is, and you're going to come to the beach. So there'll be stuff here. But you and I, I don't know whether this is us responding to effective marketing or we're just old school people that when Apple is like, hang out, look at all the cool stuff we have. And Timmy Chalamet's here too. Yeah. Or every night on Sundays, if we tune into Last of Us and HBO does its little flex, I still respond to that. It does I respond seem to it too. Like there's a lot, you know, a winning time's coming. Back. Hey, I like that. Like, show. has there like ever been an Amazon Prime ad? Uh, I think they do. I mean, these services, even Netflix, probably they they have done Super Bowl ads where they were like, "This is what you're going to be getting from us." Interesting. Um, but in terms of the, I for some reason do not recall a single. I mean, I recall obviously Lord of the Rings and 
Wheel yeah. of Time ads, but I don't remember Amazon ever being like Prime Video is a thing. You guys buying Swiffer sheets? I, I think check it's... out the wilds. <laughs> that's a one to one. I think that um, that's got to be a line item thing. The tech companies are like, we don't need to spend money to constantly tell you we're here. Yeah. Our job is for you to just not even think about us being here and go to us. Right. I, just, I think that's well. It gets into the it gets into the sort of melting boundary between. Channel and platform. Speaking of melting boundaries, Chernobyl pod coming on Thursday. <laughs> See, that's good advertising. See, that's what we do. We're we're the sharps. All right. There's a couple of other things I wanted to hit. I, I imagine we're just going to spend 20 minutes talking about the news from Sundance because we're passionate about indie film. Well, uh, I did see that Netflix spent $20 million uh, on a movie about high finance, which I love movies about high finance. You love everything about high finance. They're keep they're they're, they're obviously good, the belt tightening is 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 only happening in certain parts of Netflix or is, is not like obviously in acquisitions. There was an interesting interview that uh, Greg Peters, who is now the new co-CEO with Ted Sarandos, because mm-hmm. uh, Reed Hastings stepped down. We talked about that last week. Where uh, those guys, it was with Lucas Shaw and Bloomberg and uh, Greg Peters was like, we're getting to the point where we like, you know, Ash, I'll read the, the exact quote. How about that? Great. You know, uh, Ted talks about how it's very rare that a show like Squid Game from Korea would be as global as it was within 30 hours the world was watching Squid, Squid Game with no human intervention to try and market Squid Game to the world. So that speaks to what we were just saying mm-hmm. about Netflix not selling and stuff. And then Greg Peters weighs in, we're just getting started to make Squid Game not an unusual thing, but basically something that happens literally every week. You mean we're going to make our subscribers compete to the death? <laughs> I think what he means is that there would be a global phenomenon every week, which sort of, uh, that's the opposite of what a global phenomenon is. Yes. <laughs> you can't have a global phenomenon all the time. And that's, that, that, that means it's not a phenomenon. I think that's right. I mean. But I, I'm sure what he means is like something from some other part of the world becomes a global hit. Or is it more modestly like you'll be, we'll be in the position to have the product that could pop. Sure. Like, we'll have new international offerings every week, and we are... And I saw that that movie, The Jungle, uh, was, like, number one on on streaming movies for for Netflix this week. No idea what that is. Right, it's a sci-fi movie. Um, And I thought that that was, like... It's an interesting indicator of where Netflix is going. Around the world. Yeah. To Tommy McAnany. (laughs) Tommy McAnany from Boston. A couple other things for you. Before uh-huh. we get into some really, truly delightful uh, Last of Us, speaking of life-affirming. Speaking of global phenomenons. Uh, Avatar crossed the $2 billion mark at, are, at yeah. the box office are at your, the BO. Are your dollars in that kitty yet? I'm, uh, this is what I want to talk to you about. I know you haven't seen it either. Right. When do we go in? When do we buy in? <laughs> that is, I mean, we're four years late on Chernobyl. <laughs> Well, I think we wait till the way of water is warm. You know what I mean? Like, we're just... Do you think you'll see way of water before Abby 3 drops, though? Wow. Have, is that, have we confirmed, like, did Disney cut the check for Jim? Oh, yeah. He said if it, if it makes $2 billion, he will definitely make the rest of them. But what's weird is, hasn't he already mostly three's made done. the rest of them? He's like, three's them? coming out, and three could be completed. Oh. And it would be... You could feasibly say that's the end of the, sh- the series. Or? Or he's got four and five written. <laughs> It's incredible. Um, here's my thing. And I want to be honest with you and with Kaya and with our listeners. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see this movie. <laughs> I know that I've been playing it. I've been hedging, you know, I've been, I've been playing you were, it cute. You were, you were pretty into it 
when it was like, it's about to come out and you were like, when are we going to see Avatar Way of Water? You know, I like to just meet your enthusiasm head on about things, Uh about life. You love to live out loud. (laughs) Yeah. That's something I know about you. So when you're excited, I want to meet your excitement. I think I was excited when we got to make fun of people driving to Jim Cameron's personally fireproofed ranch. Yes. To work on the films. Seeing it has never been high on my list. To make the case for me. Why do you want I, to see it? Why would I make the case for you? I haven't seen it either. No, but why do you want to and why do you... No, I'm joking about like at what point in the box office right. do we then become the only two, three people who haven't seen Avatar The Way of Water? I haven't seen Avatar The Way of Water. Have you seen the first Avatar? Yeah, like when I was a kid. Oof. Shots. <laughs> Just another classic Kaya drive-by. Uh, what point do we... Is it like, we're now very much in the Hootie and the Blowfish album zone where like multiple mm-hmm. people yeah. have multiple copies of it. You know what I mean? But we don't. We don't. We haven't met those people. Did you ever buy that that Hootie record? The no. only one to be with you record? Cracked rear view? Yeah. No. You didn't have that on CD? Oh, so you're like, this is the Pauline Kale thing where it's like, I don't know anyone who voted for Nixon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not the guy. I know this has been a take. I've seen this take. We were like, it can't really be popular because I don't know. Oh, yeah, there's no cultural footprint. There's no cultural footprint. Right. I don't agree with that. Um, It's more that the people that I know who have seen it, I've received, this is not, and this is not, this is a small sample size, but it's not just one person. I have received three text messages in the last six weeks from different people who have said, wish me luck, I'm going in to Avatar. Just last night, someone was just like, I, if, I, if you never hear from me again, I'm setting foot in the theater with my children to see Avatar 2. This doesn't make me that excited. It right. does feel like an obligation. The What's Oscar it? nominations happen tomorrow. And it's going to get nominated. I think it's assumed that Avatar and Top Gun Maverick will both get nominated, but it seems like both of those films have faded from the, what if we had a populist Oscars this year? What, yes. if, what if the movies that really popped off were the ones that won or that were in contention? Uh, maybe I'm it's a little recency biased because of the Golden Globes, Tom Cruise stuff, and yep. Top Gun not winning I'll, anything at the Golden Globes. I think there's a real world in which the, those two movies could at least do a lot technically. Um, yes, and they will get nominated, which is significant. And I don't know. I mean, we need Sean Fennessy for this, for actual expertise but and prognostication. And I know these categories and nominations aren't really... It's not like a hive mind necessarily voting on everything, but I do wonder if the movement towards Angela Bassett winning Mm -hmm. an Oscar for Wakanda Forever, kind of, then people who are voting are like, well, okay, so we're we're giving the popcorn one. You know what I mean? Like a popcorn movie is going to be represented at the Oscars. I don't know. I mean, when I did Big Pick last week, are you still cranking that out? And we we chatted about some of like the sort of, what do we think is going to happen tomorrow? And what do we think is going to happen at the Oscars? It seemed like Banshee's everything and Outside Dark Horse Tar Fablemans are like the, is the, the top four to win to win things. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all shoe wins for nominations because there's guaranteed ten nominations. Yes, and there are yeah. ten. Although I, I'm hearing good things about this film Jungle on Netflix. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> ear to the ground. People are talking about all the people I've talked to today have been talking. <laughs> They're about like, it. I just got out of Avatar from after six weeks. <laughs> okay, but wait. If you here's what I'd like to do because I like I like servicey podcasting, and I have lots of four and a half hour blocks just wide open in my sketch <laughs> i would i would go see this movie with you if we did like if we set it up we got the right snacks they weren't out of Coors light at the regal cinemas and we walk right from the movie into the booth uh-huh for like a so marathon. basically we would do a three hour and change movie and then a three right hour... into a podcast yes that would then be a podcast about a movie that's been out for the better part of three months 
Well, we could also talk about Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, we could really give the people what I guess they I want. I guess we could start doing Cracked Rearview Thursdays. That's all of us catching. It's just catching up on shit Kaya, we just didn't pay attention to. Kaya, if we say the words Hootie and the Blowfish to you, does that, what does that do? Does that mean anything? That's a band, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it, does it have any significance to you in your life? Mm. I'm sure you would have recognized their, some of their songs. I'm not going to sing any of them, but... You I mean, you can. You do a good Darius record. Do I? Always have. <laughs> um, do you have a film uh-huh. that you are really pulling for this Oscar season? Have you have you decided to bless... Not, I think it's going to yes. win. Not blah, blah, blah. But like, this is the, the Andy movie. Tar. Yeah. It's. I mean, we still haven't really, really talked about it. but It I, comes out on streaming on January 27th on the Peacock Network. So That's great for it. Kaya will see it. <laughs> Kaya's already got it favorited. So if it comes out for a mass audience at the end of January, so we should pencil it in for 2025 Yeah, for a talk about it. That's the movie that I just, I can't stop thinking about and I adore. And I just think it's an incredible piece of art. I think Banshees is going to win a bunch of stuff. I think Banshees is going to Best Picture. Really? Mm-hmm. You still haven't the, seen it, right? No, I will. It's streaming now. It's on uh, HBO Max, yeah. What is the, so is the idea though, do you feel like the cultural footprint argument, is that just nonsense? Like throw that away? Because what is the cultural footprint of Banshees? Other than it's good. I'm not saying it needs one, but I'm curious what your sense is. Um, that's a good question. I think it kind of fits in right... It, it's 70% like a really nice movie. Yes. Or no, I would say it's like 60% like a nice movie and then the 40% that's dark and upsetting is is still pretty like palatable, I think, for, for most people. So I think it's like a little bit of like... It's funny, but it's also homework. It's like a nice balance there. I think the performances have become clearly like clubhouse leaders. Like yeah. the Colin Farrell victory tour is definitely happening. But, I don't know that he's going to win because of Brendan Fraser, but but we have always yeah. Always but like rooted this is it seems Colin. like the story of this movie is one that people are like happy to hear. I love the well, I love the animals in it. I love Brendan Gleeson and and also if you give that movie trophies the. Producer gentlemen will come up and say what a nice time they had. Exactly. I think everybody loves that. Yeah. I, I am almost annoyed at how much people are liking this movie because I am not the biggest McDonough guy. I mean, other than in Bruges, which I adore. Yeah. I'm not the biggest McDonough guy, but many Chris people are talking about this film. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> the streets of Hollywood. Um, no, but every I have to see it. Yeah. I have to see it. It's, well, it's right Can, there on HBO Max, probably in a slide next to The Last of Us. Before we segue, uh-huh. I do like to, especially on our buttoned up Monday show, talk to you about podcasts I listen to. Okay. I did just want to check in with you. This is Tara Jason. Have you listened to Todd Field on the Mark Marin podcast? I haven't, but I read the Todd Field New Yorker profile. Is I Todd, think I'm, t- I'm totted out, though. Well, there's just like, is he the most interesting person alive? Kind of. Because of his trajectory to where he is now? Well, that. But there's an anecdote that maybe this is in The New Yorker. This was news to me. Like, the anecdote that he invented Big League Chew, people know that. Mm-hmm. That's out there. I'm not going to rehash that, even though it involves Kurt Russell and Jim Bowden in Portland in the 70s. Right. I'm, I'm not. Interesting, though, it may be. In the interview, he's, Marin is like, oh, do you live out here? And Todd feels like, oh, a long time ago, a long time ago, I lived out here. I'm like, oh, okay, where do you live? And he's like, rural Maine. Yeah. Like, I see the hats you wear in the press store. You definitely live in rural Maine, <laughs> and you're making it work. But his reasoning was so interesting. I just want to get your take on this. Yeah, I'm a big Maine guy, so hit me up. He's like, why do you live in Maine? 
And he's like, well, it's a long story. And Mark Maron is like, this is literally a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one venue you don't have to use that yeah, caveat. Terry Gross is not going to interrupt you. It's fine. And he's like, well, my wife and I, our best friends, our best friends are her parents. And already I'm like, it's not a red flag. It's just a kind of flag I've never seen before. Uh-huh. That is not something you hear people say. <laughs> and he's like, we spend all our time together. We vacation together. So I'm waiting for him to say, and they live in Maine, or we Top vacation feels in like Maine. in his mid to late 50s, correct? I think so, yes. Yeah. So how old do you think his wife's parents are? Well, they're getting up there. This is part of the story. Okay. Again, this is a podcast. There's room for this kind of banter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kaya is rolling her eyes, <laughs> but it's fine. He's like, but, but when we spent so much time with my in-laws that when it was time for us to start our family, I felt like we needed to get some distance. Uh, so I asked my mother-in-law, whom I adored, <laughs> where can we go in America where you won't follow us? And she was like, oh, well, probably someplace like Maine, because you know Bill won't go anywhere where he can't get the New York Times in the morning. You can get the New York Times this in was, Maine. This is like 20 years ago. Okay. So he's like, great. So they moved to Maine and had children. And he's like, but, you know, the irony is my father-in-law now lives with us. And we're like, oh, funny story. And then there's a pause and he's just like, my father-in-law, legendary screenwriter Bill Goldman. Oh, my God. Yes. Right? Bill Goldman seems like a Maine guy. Here's the thing that's really funny is, you know how, you probably don't have this feeling because you have two kids. But uh, sometimes I just feel like days are really endlessly, like, just endless processions of, like, when is it time to go to bed? You know, like, it's just hard to fill up the time. Yes. <laughs> Do you feel that way? <laughs> <laughs> never. I have never had that feeling, but thank you. And I think about, like, what, what like, modern oh. life is doing to my brain. Not Bill Goldman. Bo Goldman. Yeah. The other great screenwriter. Bo Goldman, who wrote City Hall, a film I watched recently. A great screenwriter. I apologize to Bill Goldman, who... Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yes. Uh, I think about, like, what it is about modern life that makes everything feel so, like... I don't know, small, right? Like I always feel like the tasks that I used to do now are all compressed because okay. you're able, there's so much efficiency, right? I, and one I, of the you're things- You're literally speaking Esperanto, but I <laughs> So you're like, oh, they can't get the New York Times in Maine yeah. or whatever. When I used to go to Vermont with my parents and when I was first learning how to drive, one of my like daily activities mm-hmm. would be to drive 25 minutes yes. into town to pick up the New York Times for my dad then I would drive it 25 minutes back and I would sit down and I would be like, the Phillies won. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is also- And that's how I would find out about things. Yes. And the next thing I knew, two hours had gone by. But I had gone to get the paper, come back, read the box scores of the Major League Baseball games, process that information, and then the day began. I, can I just, quick parenthetical, what's giving me life right now isn't just our conversation and being in the room with you guys. It's thinking about the spit take Sean Fennessy did. <laughs> in his BMW when he heard me say Bill Goldman was living in Maine with Todd Field in the 45 seconds between me saying that and me realizing I'd made a terrible mistake. This is great. I really enjoyed that. Okay, to follow up, this is relevant for a number of reasons. One, you know the thing about that time when it took you two hours to find out if the Phillies had won or if the U.S. had defaulted on its debt? Sure. You were fine. (laughs) You know what bad things happened during that time? No, no no bad things. You didn't need to know. That's relevant. The other thing that's relevant is sometimes, and I want to blow up your spot, you would drive 25 minutes to town, find like an old payphone, insert a quarter and call me and be like, Andy, guess what? No, I would actually, my parents had an AT&T card, so I would dial 74 numbers. (laughs) 
so that I could have a long distance phone call with you yes. about comic books. You'd be like, I'm really into the X-Men now. Yeah. Do you know about the prophecy of the 12? And I'd be like, oh my God, that's incredible. And Chris gets back from New England. Like, we're going to just like get into this shit. Like, is Cyclops Omega level? And I would spend like $70 <laughs> on graphic novels just to get up on it. And you'd come back and be like, Chris, what do you think? You'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you make it sound like I was on acid. That's not what was happening. You may have been. No, I mean, like I wasn't in a fugue state. I think I just had, I, I was like, I had quick burning passions back then. You know? Well, then you had so much time to like burn through them. Yeah. During the long drive back. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Last of Us. Yep. Speaking of New England. Yes. I got it. Yes. Yes, you, got, you still got it. <laughs> Last of Us episode two. Yep. Uh, so spoilers for this one going forward in case you are behind on that because you were uh, celebrating the Niners game last night or something. Anna Torv, uh character, her character mm. Tess, uh, passes away. Shocked. In this one, were you shocked? Because this is becoming, I think, a little bit of a trick. Yeah. It's the flashy <laughs> casting out in first two episodes. Yeah, not shocked. Not shocked. I mean, it, she doesn't seem to be one of the last of us. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the marketing of the show is pretty clear. There's well, just two of us. Well, suggests one. She's like one of the penultimate last, lasts of uh, us. Uh, this was not This was not a surprise. Were you surprised it happened so early? Nope. Okay. What do you, you just want to interrogate me about the episode? No, because I think that it shows... I have not played this game, nor am I engaging deeply in the how it differs from the game discourse that's going on. So I am still taking this show episode by episode mm -hmm. and be like, interesting. 
one of the things that's kind of fascinating is watching this show. And one of the reasons why we watched Chernobyl is because we wanted to kind of treat Craig Mazin as what he is, which is an important mm-hmm. showrunner and TV creator and look at how these two shows talk to each other. Yeah. Obviously, there's like this tapestry of characters in Chernobyl with a central relationship of Selen Skarsgård and Jared Harris in the middle. And in that show, all of the characters live long, healthy, and productive <laughs> lives. So, so, this, so this pivot is shocking. Shocking. He wanted to do something different. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's exactly, he wanted to just mm-hmm. get a little darker. I get it. Here's what I, what I loved about this episode. Okay. Genre television sometimes gets a little caught in a rut where it's entirely about the plot. So even something that we love, like Mayor of Easttown, whereas you might start it and you're like, what I really want to do is just be sitting around with Mayor and Gene Smart mm-hmm. and the priest and the daughter and watching them drink Cosmopolitans or Manhattans and her drinking Rolling Rocks and icing her ankle with frozen vegetables. And th- that's it. That's mm-hmm. all I want. Like the missing girl, the the intrigue. And then the genre shows have to then turn themselves over to their genre. Yep. And at least right now, I think that Mason may have split the difference where there is a mission to this show and there is an almost old school, like in every week there will be a new challenge kind of thing. But there also seems to be, they're keeping it nebulous enough about like, he just needs to get her West. Yep. You know, that I really like, I'm really enjoying the pacing and the structure of the show so far. And I think it lets you kind of invest yourself in this main relationship. I, th- I agree with you about the pacing. I agree with you about the just the production and performance and just overall quality about the show. I also think that I'm in and second episodes are the hardest ones. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that anecdotally, we've heard good things about the third episode. Yes. Some new actors show up, some people we're excited to see. So whatever criticisms I have about this episode need to be taken with all of that all of those grains of salt. Because to me, this episode as a TV show was definitely a video game. Interesting. A hundred percent. Like, how will you get in this door? I will climb over here. Don't even worry about what we're doing. We have to go through this building to encounter different level enemies and challenges to achieve our objectives. Yeah, I can see that. I I, I didn't, now I'm not watching this as you called out, I'm not taking copious notes on this show. Um, The uh, or ever, or ever really, but the the mission felt incredibly. Um, I you know what? There's a word for it that I remember from from video games. But basically, that there was a whole genre of of basically one of the things of games is you wanted the sense of open ended possibility, but you also have to narrowly window your your options mm-hmm. so that you feel like you're in control, but really you have to go this way right. to to encounter this thing so these plot points can happen. And and I could just sort of feel that pressure now. Genre television shows or plot-heavy television shows do that too. Mm-hmm. And so what was interesting to me just on a conceptual or like 10,000-foot level about this episode was what I perceived to be a tension, a healthy tension, a creative tension between Craig Mazin's um, storytelling impulses and the track that Joel and Ellie have to be on. And to that end, what this episode reminded me of, if you'll allow it, is the Beverly Center. <laughs> Now, for those of those of you not here in Los Angeles, yeah. you may not be familiar with the Beverly Center, which is a enormous white brick of a mall. Pure vertical mall. In West Hollywood. Yeah. That I think is very important to people who are Brady Stanellis and other contemporaries of his from like the 80s. This is like a big destination. It's on thing. La Cienega. It's also extreme. Sorry, earmuffs if, our, if the architect is a deep fan of us. But yeah. I think it's a deeply ugly building. <laughs> 
and really like this is what we thought shopping Nirvana would be in the eighties. Is, is it going to come as a great surprise to you? But that's yeah. the architect is actually Todd Field's mother-in-law. Oh my god, <laughs> I've done it again, Mr. Field. I'd like to apologize. Um, what say so, the families of Mr. Gold? No, and so a few you're, years you're ago, I just Peter feel, then. What's, I, what, I, what's I, the problem I, with this building? <laughs> I just feel like a few years ago, they were like, well, this is ugly. We don't want it to be ugly anymore, but we can't change it. Uh-huh. So we will hire smart people to make it do the best we can around it and cosmetically change it. So they put some like grading on it and changed the shape on the outside and the perception of it in space and opened up some doors on the ground level so you can enter from the street. I sincerely have never noticed that. It's always just looked like the fucking Astrodome is on La I, I think about this a lot because I'm passionate about modern architecture. <laughs> well, no, I, this is an, this is an Let me, overwrought... Paint, I'm going to paint a little bit of a word picture for the non-Angelinos listening to this, okay? Yes. So it's essentially like you drive down Beverly or whatever, which is like a wide avenue make a hard left on La Cienega. I mean hard, not in its angle, but like it takes a while to make the left. Then you make a suicidal right turn into a parking lot. Try to find parking yeah. for about half an hour. And then you get on an escalator for the average runtime of the way of water. <laughs> and you just take this escalator up. Yeah. And and I think it, for at least the first four minutes of the escalator, there is no commercial, like it's all parking. You're just going up past all the parking and whatever, it's, like, foundational beams they've it's got It's just there. a great time to think about the choices you've made that have led you to this moment. And then you get out, and I guess, what would you say is, like, the Beverly Center has a lot of, like, luxury brand yeah. boutiques. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't go there. But <laughs> this is an overall metaphor. I just want to say, when you have something, maybe for historical purposes or architectural purposes or practical purposes that can't be changed, yeah. some of the most creative work is done in the margins or cosmetically or on the outside, change your perception of things. And that is what I felt Mazin doing here. And I don't mean that as disrespect to the game. Obviously, Neil Druckmann, the creator, co-creator, was is very involved in the series. But what I was, my, my enjoyment of the episode primarily came from what I took to be the cosmetic out external changes. And the biggest example of that is what appears to be now a running thing of cold opens said in the past. I was going to bring this up. So- I bet that, that these are the ones I bet freak you out. I because of my upcoming travel to Jakarta. No, because I just think that like the I was wondering whether you get more scared by these glimpses at how yes. things went wrong than you yes. do by mushroom heads. Because um, the mushroom head stuff is pretty it's pretty horror. Yeah, it's and and it's and it's fine. It's well directed and conceived and creative and et cetera, but it it doesn't feel um groundbreaking yeah. or new, you know, nor did the twist of like guess who's actually bitten here like and what she's going to do to get them i mean that we've seen these stories before sure. it doesn't undercut the performance or the choices you know by the creators who put us down that path it, it it's effective but a hundred percent agree with you and and feel that these opens whether it was the first episode of the talk show in mm -hmm. the 60s or this which is where an indonesian mycology professor is pulled away from her honestly Ratna. it, it yeah. looked amazing. played by christine hakim who i just want to say like when they get to the the bomb scene when yeah. she's like drop a bomb yeah is awesome it's amazing yeah her lunch also looked great yeah that's <laughs> drops of god greenwald at it again um i love that this uh -huh. is what i want my creators to be doing this is what i want added to sh tv shows that have a a to b to c plot this is what i want people to be doing with hbo budgets okay frankly and yes it was to me a hundred times more horrifying and impactful than the scenes of mushroom-headed monsters jumping out of revolutionary war exhibits but it is helping. You know, I don't mean this is, I'm not trying to create a narrative, which I don't even know if it's accurate. And I don't think it's helpful to be like, 
well, Mazen is just trying to improve something that's a video game. I don't think that's what's happening here at all. But I do think these are the evidence of a really smart creative mind, not helping, but just um, adding, right? Right, Making things stronger, richer, deeper, better. And I really am responding yeah, to Yeah, I that. mean, obviously, Ratna's talking about dropping a bomb to save people at the end of the sh- at the end of the episode, Tess blows up the Massachusetts State House to and, save Ellie and Joel. Right, and, like, and we like learned a, that they did bomb the cities. Yeah, and they're right. They're walking around. They're seeing craters. To your video game point, I noticed a couple of those things too. There are little micro challenges or puzzles that yep. these characters have to solve. I don't find them uncinematic or uninteresting. You know, I don't necessarily know if they would be. Highly rewatchable, although I did rewatch both of the first two episodes because my wife got into the show. Oh. So I wound up rewatching them and found them really enjoyable on the second pass. There was also a moment where I noticed as they approached the state house, that truck that's supposed to have the fireflies who are going to take Ellie away, I think is painted blue and mm. it pops on the screen as a color because everything else is kind of overgrown green which when you walk into a when i used to play video games and you would be going into a level in vermont you, you would, would look me. for the yeah. color because that would be the thing that you had to open or solve or fix or take yeah, with you, you or whatever you, it, it's certainly in the video games of our generation you couldn't interact with very much yeah. there would be the one thing in each space that you could yeah and it would be like would you like to open this and then the other thing that's really like very video gamey is like when you arrive at like some destination there is a cache of like supplies you know like you have come across and that's sort of what happens when they get there and the fireflies seem to have brought a small nation's armory with them into the state house i just continue to feel that it's an uphill climb on a certain level like this is not me saying the show isn't already successful both in terms of audience metrics and in terms of execution i this is something we said last week like one of the smartest decisions that they made was let's just get into it. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to solve a problem that doesn't exist yet and make this a different thing than it than it wants to be. And I think that's very successful. Well, would that an but, example of that being like two episodes of pre yes. pre apocalypse hanging out in Texas stuff? Because really, yes, because genuinely, this has felt certainly once Ellie joins the game or the show that it's like it's objective based. Sure. Now we have to go to here, and right. when you get there, your objective changes or the stakes change. Now we're going here and we're going there. Okay, that's. That's what this is. And you fight bosses along the way and you fight bad guys. But sometimes I do feel like you get caught up in it. And then in the lulls, I'm like, but I, I don't, what's Joel been doing? And why do I, why have I signed up for this? I'm not fully buying. What's that. Joel been doing? Like what's he been doing in the intervening 12 years? 20. 20 years. But yeah. also just like the, the Ellie stuff is not quite working for me yet. Cause I don't fully, you know, and again, it, 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 it speaks to the the problems with these large scale end of the world shows where the stakes become so incomprehensible that our investment is sometimes challenged. So to say that this girl who we've just met is the key to something or everything mm-hmm. and then have Anna Torv be like, set things right. And that's a lovely line of dialogue. But that, I mean, have you seen Boston recently? It so does, this I is worse that- than the Back Bay what was the construction they were doing forever? The Big Dig. Oh, it's this the Big is, Dig, man. This is worse than I have than a that. lot of Boston notes. We have, I have some notes so, about the show, just this episode specifically. So, so it's just that that's the, the openings of our world are doing a lot of the water carrying to, to earn those other moments to me. And, and, you know, I don't want to argue both sides of this because I do think that ultimately what checked me out of Walking Dead, well, there are many things that checked me out of Walking Dead, but one was that I guess at the time seemingly bold choice to be like, well, we're never going to fix this. And the show isn't going to be about that. 
But then what was it going to be about? Well, see, Walking Dead to me is an example of also like with all due respect to like whatever the budgets were to make that show that they, and also to follow along with the source material, decided that like there would not be a ton of walking on The Walking Dead. Like they they would they would be staying in certain places for several episodes. They would you know like I I is my understanding is like as later seasons have come along, there's like communities like there's big fortresses and yeah. like, none of them are particularly like. Uh, humane but you know like i just i think that there's something about the prospect of these two with a journey and getting out of like because remember there was that walking dead episode where they go to was it omaha what was it the one where they go into a town and then they run into um michael raymond james from terriers yeah remember then we were like this is the show yeah right we really talked about that one episode (laughs) a lot (laughs) that's like that's going to be like Giants fans talking about the Vikings game last week yeah, for um, years. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I, I always like love watching dystopian stuff, just especially when they're so detail-oriented like uh, Last of Us. What's the vibe on that chicken sandwich Ellie pulls out? That was So Ellie has a, a chicken, seemingly like a lovely chicken, grilled chicken sandwich on rustic white. It's not, you know what it looks like? Have you been to Daybird here? This is very LA-centric. <laughs> Is that show. in the Beverly Center? <laughs> it's located in the beating heart of the Beverly Center. Um, no, it's uh, May Lint, May, who won Top Chef, uh-huh. opened a fried chicken sandwich place. And the, 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 the hallmark is that it's like very spicy and there's a bun and the fried chicken is so beautiful. It like extends halfway out of bun. I, I don't like sandwiches like that. Okay, this isn't about you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I like my sandwich to be within the parameters of the breading. What I'm saying is that is that somehow in this dystopia, <laughs> Ellie pulls out a sandwich that should be on Eater? Right. Like, it is It is a wild And they're just sandwich. eating, like, jerky, right? Yeah, they're eating jerky. Also, like, it doesn't seem... If your mission, potentially suicide mission, is to send the hope of humanity out into the West mm-hmm. for days, weeks, months to save everything, you got to do better than one juicy sandwich. <laughs> you should give her jerky. Do you know what I mean? Like, let yeah. her have some chicken yeah. just to make her feel good. But that doesn't seem smart. Like, also, the bread's going to get soggy. Like, keep McDLT this. Yeah. This, I, I mean, maybe I'm overreacting. No, I here, thought, but I, I mean, like, I was kind of hoping that some Boston establishments would have made it through this, oh. this, you know, like maybe, like, so maybe they would be able to get like a terrible burrito somewhere or something. Like, I guess <laughs> that's your shout out Boston food scene. <laughs> well, they have, um, they have opioids. In Boston or in, in the show? In yes. the show. Okay. And they also have guns, obviously, some somewhere. Yep. But, like, what's the food production situation? You oh, know? Like, like, did Cisco survive? <laughs> like, are the trucks still rolling? <laughs> Is Tyson still pumping out chicken tenders? <laughs> like, well, what was the name of that diner that you loved in Back Bay? Charlie's? Charlie's, yeah. Like, do you think that if, like, what if Charlie's just by dint of survival and bombing is just cranking out banana pancakes? But like, what if it was in the QZ? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they would be under this authoritarian rule. Oh. Yeah. So like not everybody could get cheesy eggs? Only people who throw children into burning pits are allowed to get cheesy eggs. Yeah. I'd be willing. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Those eggs were good. (laughs) They were wonderful. I was, you mentioned the Boston part. It's, It's kind of fascinating. The depiction of which I imagine is very much pulled from the game, but the uh, 
the depiction of Boston, I, I thought was awesome. The it, Storo Drive stuff was really cool. I see no difference. <laughs> That's I knew you were going to say that. It's just, I just, they just like, it really puts you in the same way like David Simon shows Show You Baltimore. Well, do you like, remember this looks like, like in, in June of 2020 yeah. when it was like dolphins have returned to the canals of Venice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that was all legit from what I understand. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit of what it looks like now. <laughs> yeah. It's just Boston City of Champions. I don't, no notes. No, no, they're not champions because well, they, because this happened in 03. Right. The Red Sox never won the World Series. Oh, man. We that's, talked about this. Yeah, this I know, is but I'm just. Like, they they have no the only titles they have are those Celtics ones. How's sports, how's sports guy feeling about this show? And like it one just took Super Bowl. away the banner. The flags don't fly forever. I don't know how Bill's feeling about this. Do you think that he listens to us and that's why he doesn't give the Eagles any respect? I think he definitely listens to us uh-huh. all the time, and I think that's why. Because can I can I quote him from his podcast today sure. about all the playoff games this weekend? I don't want to talk about this game anymore. That's all I have to say about this game. The one text I got from him about that game yeah. was hate deferring in the first quarter off the coin toss as a Giants as for some reason a Giants fan for that day and <laughs> brutal. and that was it he didn't check in at, even after I sent Deshaun Jackson gifts well maybe that's why but thank you for representing for us for all of us um I the the chicken sandwich thing and the Boston thing there's an there are some details that I am interested in that that tie into this mm-hmm. it's not just like we're not just going to, I mean, wait, maybe, are we, am I reaching into the bag and pulling out the dusty, what's interesting about Game of Thrones is the money take? No, like, this is, this is what draws us to, this is why we were into Andor. This is why okay. we're, you You're know. right. You're right. That show proved the balance. So like there's some, we talked about the jacket last week and we don't need to belabor that because yeah. we destroyed everyone's Instagram algorithms <laughs> just by talking. Um, but there's some shots of, in an episode where they're like, if the fungus tendrils touch you or we make noise oh, I in the ground. Oh, I want to talk about this. So we see Joel's boots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not against this. It's a cool shot. They're cool boots. And we also, it's been established that, like, they need to be thoughtful about their bodies. Yeah. And, like, it's and all where armor moving and, everything. and how they yeah. move. But, you know, if most of the world died, there's a lot of high-quality items in the now-abandoned stag provision stores spread out across the country. So how would you dress... Well, it okay. If you I, had the run of the Beverly Center, how would you dress <laughs> in an apocalypse? I would dress like Nick Sirianni in the locker room. <laughs> Just I would get a Dream Chasers tra- chain. Yeah. I would wear a tracksuit. Um, I'm I'm thrown by that question. I would like to. Well, because you're back implying you. that he should somehow be wearing like a three piece suit. No, 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 no. The oh. opposite. I'm saying it's interesting because clearly this matters, and they have access to looting and just taking stuff. Yeah. So they it it didn't bother me that he had brand new high quality boots like the everyone would. There's plenty of shit in the world, and I'm interested in you know do they do sorties to like raid the outlet malls? Yeah, like Macy's, in, right? Or do they? But what, how you would you? I mean, how would you dress, Chris? I mean, also, what is your job? I mean, because I mean, I think you're a talented guy. Depends but, on the climate. But I feel but like this, the cultural podcasting. This episode does gave not me explode. a lot of pause. I usually I would not call myself humble about right. my role in a zombie apocalypse. I right. believe at some points I've suggested to you that I could rise to some sort of. Sometimes that's one of your core bits. But it's just like you know, a leader will rise kind of thing. Like yeah. I kind of feel like. If if we're taking away a lot of like yeah. the educational or experiential requirements okay. of being in government or leadership, which we have, which we have, by the way. to be fair, I feel like I would I would be able to provide a lot of like you know a lot in a leadership role in an apocalypse. But yeah, 
the wrinkle that they've thrown in on this show where you have to watch where you walk would not work for me. Okay. I'm just not a very careful walker. I'm Are not you not? Very, I, I'm not like a precise like, oh, I'm making sure I don't step on a root kind of thing. Like I kind of just, I'm always up here in the in the heads heads. Even in New York, like didn't you pride yourself on like maneuvering like a Tetris game through? Yeah, but city I didn't have streets? to look down in New York. You know what well, I mean? Like you're just like you're looking up and you're trying to avoid people who are like, I've decided to open this umbrella in the middle of like 41st Street. Amateur shit. Yeah. Uh, but. I just feel like if it was a matter of like, if you step on that route, mm-hmm. you will awaken a tribe of zombies who will then have a tracking device on you. That does seem unfortunate. I think that, that would probably spell, spell doom for me. I'm interested and in my this. administration. Are, <laughs> you and Vice Chairman Santos <laughs> running the Eastern Seaboard. Well, you're, you're apparently sitting in a Gucci Chris. store in the Beverly Center. My approach to the pan- this mushroom pandemic would be similar to Anna Torov's attitude at the end of her life, 20 years into the pandemic. I would just open my mouth and kiss anything that came at me. Really? Yeah, I was fine. Sign me up for the collective. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let me become part of this. I would always, I would always just be like, you know, mm-hmm. another day, another at-bat. You never know. You're kind of pitching yourself as, this is even more niche. I don't know if anyone, how many people watched it, but like Bill Camp shows up in the middle of White Noise. And uh-huh. It's just like... I can really rally this room. Yeah. Is that you? Can you really? Because, so, our mutual, our, our good, our old friend, ringer friend, uh, Chuck Klosterman and I were talking the other day, and, and we always talk about how what makes you the best at what you do mm-hmm. has always been there. Like, you, th- this, the CR head mentality would have also, <laughs> the CR heads would have flocked to you at Hi-Fi in the East Village in the early 2000s. Sure. You, yeah. you, 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 you've always been funny, you charismatic, you, you tell good stories, like you're good at this. And uh-huh. then the world was like, here is a career doing the thing that you are naturally very Well, it good just at. depends on like what kind of like life we wanted to live in that society. Like, are we trying to just get along to go along? Are we trying to expand? Are mm. we trying to have like a hostile relationship with zombies? Are we just trying to keep them out of Boston? You know? You have my vote. No, I say put them all in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Let's open the gates of the, the, the Charles River sluice gates. Just like, put, open. Let them let go hang out at the Green Monster. It's fine. Like, yeah. that's, that's what Boston is going to be for now. Thank you for your service. And the rest of us will go about our day. Yeah. I, I just like the idea, the confidence of being like, I could have become a podcaster if that door was open to uh-huh. me, but the mushrooms came. Yeah. And instead, I'm going to be the leader of the Eastern Sea. No, I mean, the truth is, is that I die in a traffic jam in Texas anyway. <laughs> like, I just, there's no way this happens. Are you there for South by? <laughs> <laughs> Are you shopping at SAG with a Topo Chico in hand, dying as he lived, eyeing overpriced cardigans with a bubble water? Um, anything else from this episode that you wanted to hit? No, just to say that what's interesting about the episodic nature of it is every week could be different, mm-hmm. which is good, I think. Not because I didn't particularly like, I, this, this episode was fine. I didn't get too high or too low on it. But I appreciate the built-in sense, not based on, I didn't watch scenes for the next episode. I'm not, I'm tossing away the fact that I know Murray Bartlett is showing up. I just mean, it feels clear that it can change week to week, which I think is a good thing. How are you feeling about Pedro? You know, I was um, I was watching this second episode of The Last of Us the way many people should with their mother-in-laws, mothers-in-law, who, by the way, really is like I'm not I'm not saying she's seen Avatar uh-huh. or Night Court, but when they were in the Revolutionary Museum, she exclaimed, "Oh, don't get bitten!" Right. Like so she's she's on the same page. She's as catching show. what they're pitching. Right. right. Um, and there was a moment 
I think when he gives like there's like the that we're going the long way or the short way mm-hmm. conversation, and she, and she was like, he looks like Burt Reynolds, and I was like, wait, kind of does, yeah. and that's the vibe. Yes, that is the movie star, but in this universe, TV star vibe that he is giving us, and it is rock solid. That unlocked it for me. Not that I've never, I've never disliked it. So they, have they seen both episodes or was it just, just like a random like what's on thing? No, and to be clear, my father-in-law was snoring. Okay. So he did not watch any of it. But she was like, this is good. She said it was a little bit like La Brea, the NBC show. I could neither confirm nor deny sure. that. She was like, don't you do a podcast about television? And I was like, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> we just talk about Night Court. Uh, I haven't heard from my mom about it. My wife loves this show. It just seems like this show has a very high approval rating. And what's what's Phoebe's, like, what's her... I think she really likes the horror aspect of it. Yeah, you guys love that. Uh, she likes the kind of the tension. I think they do set pieces really well. Like, I like how they're doling out the rules of the world, like, kind of piecemeal, but not in a way that seems improvised. So... Learning that the that the infected the zombies are are very uh, hearing sensitive. The mushroom people can't see, but they can hear really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was wondering as a guy who recently got glasses whether that's mm-hmm. affected your other senses, like kind of a reverse Spider Man. I th- I think without question, <laughs> I think that I am I'm I'm a super taster now. That's right. Like in all areas, I am better than I was. Okay, except seeing, which <laughs> continues to be a challenge. Um, but you- that's yeah. Yeah, I, I I think it's just it's the margins for me. Like the the other lingering question, not lingering question, but sort of interest point, is when Ellie's like, "I went to school," and I'm like, "Okay," because I read an interview with 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 Bella Ramsey after the first episode where she was like, you know, part of the conversations of the character is like she her, what does she know? Well, not just what she knows, but her whole life has been in this. So yeah, she curses a lot, and she knows how to toss a knife. I'm like, okay, that 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 sounds gnarly. But then she was also going to school. So what What was that? What right. did they learn? I guess she learns where Detroit Well, and is. she's going to a government school, right? Oh. But there is a resistance so to you the think, government in this in this universe. So this, school, this show is pro-charter school. That's the debate. <laughs> Let's make... What if we made this show the avatar for absolutely inappropriate, Every, contentious political yeah. debates? Oh, <laughs> that's what they're saying. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up here yeah. because we have a big one coming on Thursday. We may or may not because Poker Face comes out on Thursday. Mm. Uh, and I don't know whether or not like that would be something we can get to before we record or whether that's something we need to save for the following Monday. You mean, should we talk about a hot new show or devote the entire podcast to something? Well, and but when you think about it, more people have probably seen Chernobyl than Poker Face because Poker Face isn't out yet. And Chernobyl has been out for four and a half years. Yeah, so we gave everybody a head start and now we come in. You're, wel- uh, you're welcome, everybody. So we're going to talk about Chernobyl on Thursday. Uh, it's been it's been very heartwarming to see people's reactions to Andy and I and our Mia Culpa. I think people like humility. Uh huh. I think that's very attractive to people in podcasts <laughs> that are supposed to have strong opinions. Uh, so yeah, Poker Face, uh, Chernobyl, and then obviously we'll keep talking about The Last of Us. Thank you to Kaya. Came in today to the studio. Interesting new vibe for us. Interesting, yeah. Feeling ourselves out. But I think also there's just like a sort of all business Monday, you know? I thought this was a very, very um, stoic podcast. I appreciate your your rigor. We had some laughs. We laughed about the Beverly Center. We live out loud. That's our new motto. I'm trying that out. <laughs> That's just what we do. Okay. Right? Apple, call me. 